0: The following is a conversation with Peter Sage, one of the world's top-ranked gurus. He was Tony Robbins' youngest sales trainer. He's a multiple-time best-selling author. He's a six-times TEDx speaker, and today we're going to be addressing two big questions. One, what is the key to happiness as an entrepreneur? And two, what is the secret to superhuman motivation? I had a really great time speaking with Peter, and I think you're going to enjoy it. Peter, welcome. Thank you for spending some time with me. Uh, it's not every day I get to, to sit down with an international keynote speaker uh, such as yourself, who's worked with people like Richard Richard Branson, Tony Robbins. So I'm excited to dive into some big questions with you. Uh, you can call them big. Some might call them small. But we just spent you know a week together in Chamonix, France, and you s- talked about some incredible things that really left an impact on me and put some things into context. So I'm I'm thankful for you to come and share some of that knowledge stories uh, with with my audience here today. So thank you. And the two small questions that we're going to be addressing on this episode are one, what is the secret to happiness as an entrepreneur? Small question there. And then two, what is the secret to superhuman motivation? So that's what we're gonna be in store for uh, over the next 30 to 60 minutes. So Peter, thank you. Welcome to, to the show and thanks for joining.
1: No, it's uh, a real pleasure, uh, thank you. And you know, again, we had a lot of fun in Sharmini. Uh, it's, uh, it's always great to jam with people that are you know, the same kind of frequency and looking to add value. So yeah, happy to roll the dice and see where we go over the next several minutes and what value we can add to your tribe.
0: Yeah, I'm pumped about it. And yeah, Peter gave a keynote uh, over in Chamonix, France. I was there on a mastermind, 35 other high level entrepreneurs, all on a very similar wavelength. And I think we really got a lot of value out of of what you had to say. And some of the stuff, right, we already kind of, kind of knew we've been told a couple of ways, but the way that you frame it and the stories that you use, the analogies that you give really puts it into context and and makes it hit home. So I'm thankful for you. And hopefully uh, the audience, the listeners here can get some of that same value. Uh, so, Peter, let, let's start with the simple one. What is the secret to happiness as an entrepreneur?
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Let's, where do you want to start unpacking? The, I'll, I'll go down a couple of roads here because I think it's important to have some context. Yeah, you yes. know, Context is definitive. Uh, if you're a parent and you see a, uh, a parent grab their four-year-old by the wrist and yank them violently across the road, you're going to have judgment about that. But if you then all of a sudden you know, notice that that parent risked their own life by getting the child out of the way of a moving bus, you have a completely different context. Same action, yeah, but completely different context, which gives different meaning. So yeah, context is definitive. And I see a lot of people when it comes to happiness uh, work off what I would perceive to be some fundamentally flawed beliefs around context. And one of the uh, first foundational concepts is to understand happiness is not something that you're trying to go after mm. happiness is a byproduct of thinking happy thoughts case closed wow. you, know, you, you want to keep it simple uh, don't complicate it
0: so what yeah, is co- what is the thing that entrepreneurs should be seeking if not happiness what do you call it
1: that there is a huge difference between a life chasing happiness because you're or a life chasing success that then you think will make you happy This is a life-chasing fulfillment, Mm. which is really a different direction. Sometimes those tracks can be parallel, which is why most people get deceived by them, being separate. But the vast majority of people and entrepreneurs that start businesses quite often start them for the wrong reasons. Yes. Uh, Which means you're already, you're now running east looking for a sunset. And when I say starting for the wrong reasons, it's really driven by a fundamental understanding of what drives human beings. And the when you look at the primary fear that we have the primary fear of human beings is the fear that we're not enough hmm. not good enough smart enough tall enough short enough you know, fill in the blank yeah we sure do but if you're starting a business and the motivation unconscious motivation this is not you know you, you the, the front part of your brain is not in charge of your big decisions All Right, so when you start a business and you're trying to do it because ultimately you want to prove to the world you're good enough or ultimately you're searching for certainty and need to have enough money, ultimately mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're searching for a, a way to um, uh, get more significance yeah, because your friends are entrepreneurs and yeah, you're sick and tired of yeah, being the end of the joke on you know, when you're going to go uh, start your own business and quit working at McDonald's, whatever it may be. Right. The first place you look is the reason that you're starting the business. Now, if you're driven by significance, uh, your focus is on how big you can build the business, how successful you can get it. If your focus is on certainty, you've picked a business model that you think will give you the best chance of success. Hmm. And you you can already start to see how the backstory determines the direction of travel. Yes.
0: So it all ends at fulfillment.
1: Uh, well, the, the, most of it is a wild goose chase, thinking you're going to get fulfillment, but mm-hmm. you, know, you, you, you don't stand a prayer in hell. And the reason oh, for that so. is if, because if you've you started a business, let's just say based upon certainty. Yes. And here's a classic entrepreneurial example. Let's take mm-hmm. Susie. Susie's a hairdresser. She works in a salon. She's worked in a salon for years. She's, worked for, she's the manager of the salon. In fact, the owner of the salon, she never really sees because they're busy opening their fifth salon. Mm-hmm. So she opens up, she you know, runs the, you know, uh, all the stock and she organizes staff and basically manages the entire salon. And she sits there thinking, you know, any Muppet can run a business. Clearly, I'm working for one. I need to listen to that voice that a lot of people have that I need to captain my own ship. Yeah. I'm going to go out and start my own business. Now, here's the thing what business do you think good old Susie's going to start? Hair salon. Hair salon. So far, so good. But here's the key point. The question is why? Does she start the hair salon because she's passionate about cutting hair, or does she start the hair salon because she has more certainty that that's the field she knows how to do? Chances are, most likely the latter. Yes. So let's run it forward. Yeah, let's just you know, fill in the blank. She gets or borrows the money, gets the opportunity, finds the courage, does all the things that's necessary to start that entrepreneurial journey. And yeah, 12 months later, she's operating yeah, her own salon. Mm-hmm. The challenge is, as an entrepreneur, Jay, yeah, you'll very much appreciate this. How long does the average business plan last in terms of uh, going according to plan before something shows up that wasn't planned?
0: probably days if that
1: yeah, if, if not nanoseconds right, <laughs> right? But yeah yeah but certainly pretty soon so when uncertainty shows up as it will what does Susie do because Susie is now uh, facing uncertainty in the business challenges and problems that, that she had no way of being able to see before she gets in okay This is why most people don't succeed at their first business, quit and go back to work because they don't want to face failure again rather than realizing that, you know, failure is the price of admission to becoming a successful entrepreneur. Yes. But Susie started the business on the fundamental basis of a need for certainty. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when uncertainty shows up, the program that's running in the back of her mind is how do I replace the uncertainty with certainty because that's the driving factor. So what's Susie certain that she knows how to do? Cut hair. So Mm -hmm. she starts working harder in the business. Now she's working more hours than she did before. She's cutting more hair and she's probably earning less per hour than she did previously while assuming all of the risk and downside. Mm -hmm. Susie's not a happy camper. This whole entrepreneurial thing isn't as fun as she thought it was going to be. It's not as liberating as she was hoping. So let's rewind and play a different card. Susie says, any Muppet can run a business, I'm working for one, I'm gonna go do this myself. But instead of starting a hair salon, she asks herself a quality question. What am I passionate about? What would I really want to do? What, what is it something I'm good at? I've never really had the chance to, to follow as much because I've been trapped in this hair salon. And yet yeah, I'm good at cutting hair, but it doesn't light me up. Let's say it's something with, I don't know, uh, cooking, baking. Yeah, great. So she opens up a little bakery. Now, how long before uncertainty shows up? Anywhere between nanoseconds and days. Yes. Right. But at this time, because she's been driven by passion, not certainty, she's able to dig deeper to find the necessary resources to get through the uncertainty to the other side. You follow?
0: Yes. And this is a question that I actually discuss with my entrepreneurial colleagues all the time. So I'm glad we're touching on this, especially when you're early on in your first businesses, when you're making money for your first time. Does it need to be something that you're passionate about or can it just be a vehicle to make money and get to something that you're passionate about? Because oftentimes I've found that passion doesn't always align with a a business model that is is going to be a good vehicle for making money. What's your thoughts there?
1: It's a fair question. And let's just say that her passion is to open a bakery, but she feels she needs to get more money in a business that she can succeed at because uh, uh, she has the technical skills to be able to operate in more. Uh, for example, if she's going into her salon with the understanding that you know, uncertainty is going to show up and cutting more hair ain't going to cut it. Yes and she knows the game in advance, then she can make the call. Because the reality is she's most likely gonna face the same amount of uncertainty in both. So why not pick something you love doing?
0: Yeah, I, I hope most people can be that lucky and have that foresight. And I guess listening to things like this is what, what's gonna give that to them. Now, do you think that a lot of business owners kind of end up in the same role? Say she does the hair salon and she doesn't love, love cutting hair. It's not her passion. And then five years down the road, she's able to endure and build a hair salon. She's no longer cutting hair. Now she's an owner, an operator, uh, a CEO of that company. And that role looks very similar to other business models that you're, that you're running, uh, once you're overseeing, you're managing, you're overseeing marketing and expenses, uh, that role starts to look really, really similar to, uh, across different industries. Uh, what are your thoughts there?
1: Uh, I think we may be confusing the title of entrepreneur with CEO.
0: Yes, I guess. Because the two uh, are different. And not every entrepreneur ends up as CEO. Is that is that the point there?
1: Cool. Now, don't get me wrong. In order to get to the point where you can hire a CEO, you've got to graduate. Right. Uh, you've got to graduate your way through the experiential learning school of business. And, and that is something that statistics will show you has a pretty high failure rate.
0: Was it 90%? So,
1: yeah. So I'm, uh, and again, you you can go on. Uh, it's the difference between things like YPO and EO. Yeah, uh, EO, the Entrepreneurs Organization. I was a member for ten years, and EO is the crazies, the mavericks, the people that have this, yeah, you know, the the wacko ideas at three in the morning, go remortgage their house and, yeah, you know, metaphorically fly to Vegas and put it all on thirty six red, right? That's that's who, and 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 are happy with that. It's, it's it's where we get our kicks. Yeah. You manage to build a bit, and in order to be an EO, you've got to be doing a million dollars a year in revenue. So it's not your average kind of BNI, you know, sort of one-man you know, window cleaning round. So they've got some experience. And a lot of people are, you know, get to a million on their second or third business. right? So you know, it's just like you, you go into the Olympics, you're probably not going to get a medal on your first one. Mm. Right? But you know, the second, you get the idea. Uh, so when it comes to uh, YPO, Young Presidents Organization, you've got to be earning 10 million in revenue a year and be the CEO, yeah, or president, because the management of a business like that is very different. And you you don't want a maverick being able to, you know, <laughs> a crazy being able to uh, run the business from the mindset of crazy. You need a crazy person to start the business from the mindset of crazy, because somebody who's just invested a yeah, hundred grand or whatever in their education to get their MBA is essentially looking for certainty so that they can move into a business that is up and running, that they can bring their value to. The, the crazy entrepreneur who didn't invest a hundred grand to get an MBA because they're too busy building a business mm-hmm. yeah, and coming up with the next idea is looking to hire. Yeah, I'm a lousy CEO. I, I've said that from day one. I'm, I'm the visionary. Too. Yeah, my, 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 my Zoom title is chief visionary officer. Right, that's come um, on. It's like, but you need a good integrator. But at the beginning, you've got to be everything, including the T boy, including the floor sweeper. And as you go through learning the process of sales, of marketing, yeah, of yeah, people management. Uh, but coming back to circling around towards the original question, the the patterns that are running you are the ones that most people don't take into account because they're, they're blind to them and that's where the effect in the business can result in either joy or frustration and so to give you a practical example yeah, if somebody is a control freak yeah somebody's a control freak and they uh, start a business most control freaks when it comes to entrepreneurs are control freaks because their self-worth and their net worth are welded together. Hmm. And therefore, if my net worth is threatened, i.e. if something in the business goes wrong and it could impact the viability, profitability of the business, if my self-worth is tied to that, it then triggers the fear we spoke about earlier, the fear that I'm not enough. If my my business loses money, (gasps) yeah. So... You're trying to control everything, making the false illusion that everybody sees the business the way you do. Uh, And guess what? They don't and never will. If they're not operating and running their own business, they will never, ever, ever underline never uh, see the business the way you. Right. right, So if you then say, right, I'm trying to control everything, you're going to have HR problems. You're going to be catching people doing things wrong instead of catching them doing things right. You're going to be restricting and throttling the business by not being able to empower people to uh, give their They're too scared of getting it wrong. Right? And you are going to be your own limiter whilst uh, under the illusion of blaming everybody else. That doesn't sound, sound like you a to do, run a business. Yeah. yeah and, and, but all you need to do is see what is the pattern that's driving that? Yeah. Why are you so scared to let go of control? The very so definition of being... being an entrepreneur. Is the right. ability to
0: handle uncertainty? I like that definition mm-hmm. better than those willing to take risk. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The uh, how to handle you, uncertainty.
0: Circling back, how do you catch that mythical orb of fulfillment? Uh, say you choose, you know, a a a business model that you're hyper passionate about. You wake up energized every day. Is there a point in your entrepreneurial journey at which you will truly feel fulfilled? And if so, how do you how do you get there? Huh.
1: If if, if that's the mindset and the question, the chances are that it's not going to happen. The reason is that fulfillment is found in the unfolding of the passion. Fulfillment is found in the day-to-day opportunity of you expressing who you are through the vehicle that you call a business. Mm. So if it's not fun anymore, you need to look in the mirror. If it's too much pressure and too much stress you need to look in the mirror. If you're not happy doing what you're doing because you're trying to make enough money to get to a place where you think you can be happy, you need to look in the mirror. Yeah, that's, that's the key around that. Now, again, what is happiness? Happiness is a byproduct of thinking happy thoughts. Yeah. what is anger? Anger is a byproduct of thinking angry thoughts. What is depression? Depression is a byproduct of thinking depressing thoughts. You want to stop being angry? Stop thinking angry thoughts it's It's uh, again, the fact that most people don't have control over their own sense of emotional mastery is a wonder to me because it's the first place you would want to go in order to be able to have a fulfilling or successful life. Your relationship to the context around the game that you're playing in life is everything you know, two men sat behind prison bars, one saw mud the other saw stars yeah you know, your condition never defines you Jay always gives you the opportunity to define yourself and when you can rise above the incessant drama because we know there's going to be days where your best customer quits for your your most feared competitor there's going to be days where your number one staff member gets offered a better deal there's going to be days where you know things just go wrong and if you don't have a way to rise in the face of that with a smile or say, hey, guys, we need to call a war room. Let's come in. Yeah, stay calm. Nobody panic. Yeah, we have a situation. Let's figure out how to get through this, because there will be dark nights of the soul, whether you're in business, whether you're in life, whether you're in a marriage, whether you're in a it doesn't matter. It's always going to happen by design. So preparing who you are to rise to that rather than capitulate to it is one of the keys to leading a more fulfilled slash happy life. So
0: for those that are in business or running a business, that might not be their passion. Uh, And they're clearly unfulfilled and they're, they're pushing, they're making more money and they're trying to reach that. Is there any way to personally develop yourself to become fulfilled in the business that you're already in without saying, shit, I'm in the wrong business. I guess I should start over uh, and pursue my passion. Is there any advice you have for those people to recontextualize or reframe what they're doing to try and uh improve their relationship with their business and and reach fulfillment
1: ask better questions you know mm-hmm. questions direct focus questions are the steering wheel of the mind and yeah, your brain is like a it's like a faithful dog if if you throw a labrador a stick it's going to go fetch the stick and bring it back you throw your brain a question it'll go fetch the answer and bring it back which is why if you say why do i feel like crap it's going to go and fetch the stick and bring the answer back Oh, because you're, you know, you're an idiot. You don't take your health seriously. Oh, because, you know, whatever. Oh, why am I, yeah. Uh, uh, why am I not succeeding? Oh, stick thrown. Yeah. Dog fetch. Oh, because your business school you know, uh, studies teacher said you'd never amount to anything because your dad said you were an idiot. Fill in the blank. So ask better questions.
0: Yeah. I you feel know, like we're scared so, to do that a lot of time as entrepreneurs and as high achievers, at least, or, or maybe it's scared of the answers that we're going to going to get back, because that might mean a massive shift. Uh, and well, that's why I, I think doing things like we just did for 10 days, you know, spending time with high level people to, to talk about these things kind of forces you to stare the answers in the face. Is uh, that sound relatively accurate?
1: Well, one of the, the key parts of the journey I take my students through is authenticity. Mm. Because until you can get real with yourself, and most people just are not ready for that, you know, there's a lot of stuff to let go of before you're comfortable taking off all the masks and finding the ones that you didn't even realize you were wearing. But authenticity is the place where you can start asking questions and not being afraid of the answers. But the kind of questions I'd be asking in the situation you gave would be like, okay, here I am. You know, again, you can't change what's happened. Investing energy into things that have already done is, 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 you know, to try to change or, or worry about is is futile. No. But asking, okay, what would make this fun for me? What would make uh, uh, my, my business more compelling? How can I design myself into the equation in a way where it's less stressful, or boring, or monotonous, or you know um, uh, risky, or wh- whatever it is that's triggering you at the minute? So again, just asking the questions rather than reacting to the day as it comes at you like a tennis ball over the net. Now, and so many people feel like they've got you know, one racket and 30 balls coming at them each mm. day yeah, per minute. So yeah, if you realize that, well, I need to ask a better question. How, why don't I, you know, is there a way I can just turn the ball, you know, chuck a machine down a bit, <laughs> right? Is there a way I can get a better racket? Is there a way that I can you know, improve the forehand or stand on this part of the court so that I actually enjoy serving rather than you know, expose the weakness of my backhand? You know, I, It's metaphorical, but you get the idea. Asking better questions to set yourself up to win rather than react to a losing game.
0: I'm overall very satisfied with the answer to that small question of how to become happy and fulfilled, which is, and correct me if I'm wrong, choose something that you're passionate about and fulfillment should come. If it doesn't, you need to be able to ask the questions and look the answers in the face and do something about it and be authentic. Uh, And whatever it is, uh, and probably a little bit kind of being able to look at yourself, honestly, authenticity and 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 act on those things. Uh, So that's very helpful. Is that is that accurate?
1: Good, good, good good summary. Yeah. Great great place to start, because, again, it's the hidden patterns that really are driving us. And as long as we're aware that that's the case, we can go looking for them rather than get directed by them.
0: Very good. And a lot of what we discussed in terms of getting in touch with your emotions, think happy thoughts to be happy, think angry thoughts to be angry is a really good transition into my second small question, which is how do you find secret human, superhuman motivation uh, in, in your everyday life? And you told me some amazing things that you are doing, some things that I didn't even know exist. They are that brutal and that horrible to think about experiencing. <laughs> that I, I haven't read about them. I haven't seen them. And you were telling me this, I'm like, this is like ancient types of torture. <laughs> how, do you, how do you find the motivation to do things like that?
1: Well, if, if that was how I held them, I'd never find enough of it.
0: <laughs> right, that's <laughs> all about framing, I guess. So how, what is the secret to your superhuman
1: motivation? Uh, it's understanding the difference between motivation and inspiration.
0: What is the difference?
1: Motivation is something that we need to force us to do something we don't really want to do. Yes. You don't need to motivate kids to get up early on Christmas morning. True. You need to motivate kids to get up early on Monday morning when it's time for school. Same time of day. Mm -hmm. It's the reason behind it and your association to it. Now, uh, one of the... uh, Events that I'm guessing you're referring to is the transatlantic rowing challenge
0: tell us about that
1: yeah so essentially I live in the Canary Islands I'm, I'm here on the beautiful island of Tenerife I've been here for a few years now and uh the closest island to us is Lagomera which is famous for where Christopher Columbus set off uh, in search actually in search of Asia and went the wrong way and found America uh lucky for you guys so uh, he uh, uh, he went across the Atlantic from the Canaries, which is just you know, a few miles off the west coast of Africa, and ended up in Antigua uh, or in the you know, in the Caribbean. And so uh, that's our uh, our route on the same day, December twelfth every year. Forty little boats, uh, which are only you know, kind of like three people long, uh, set off and. You can do it as a four or as a three, as a pair, even singles. And I'm doing it as a pair next year. And the, the routine essentially is two days, uh, two hours on because one person's rowing at a time. And the other person's got downtime, which can either be sleeping, uh, cooking, uh, uh, navigation. There's a whole lot of stuff to do you know, on, on the little boat. And then you swap. So two hours not rowing, two hours non-rowing, two hours rowing, and that's twenty-four-seven. So polyphase, you know, throughout. And that five thousand kilometre, three thousand mile adventure with two people lasts about a couple of months. So yeah, you know, there's you know, that. That's kind of sets the scene. And this is the Atlantic. Yeah, you know, we're talking. Yeah, you know, some days calm, some days swell, some days waves bigger than your boat. Yeah, you know, that kind of you know, thing in a little, you know, fiberglass. Yeah. Kind of deal. Uh, fully self-supported. No other boats around you. No other like, you know, oh, just top me up with food. Uh, no Domino's pizza delivery. No Uber. It's uh, when, once you're gone, you're gone. And two months later, hopefully you'll end up in uh, in the uh, Caribbean. So, yeah, I, I was fascinated by this particular challenge. And the reason I was fascinated, yet yeah, not terrified. Yeah. Different language. Right. The reason I was fascinated It's because one of the things that I've spent many years teaching is the art of self mastery, Hmm. and self mastery is all about what happens above the neck. Well, if you if you want to get into it more, more, yeah, the alignment of the heart and mind together. But essentially, it's how do you master yourself? And if you look at, let's just throw out a situation. It's two o'clock in the morning. I'm in the middle of the Atlantic. It's pitch black. I'm tired. I haven't slept because I'm seasick. Yeah, freezing cold. I've got blisters on, you know, you know, on my hands from rowing the last 2,000 miles. Yeah. And it's my turn to get out of my little cabin and get into the sea spray and, and, and row for two hours yeah. in the dark, backwards, right, trying to follow a compass bearing. It's that moment where you're really going to test yourself. Oh, Yeah. And I'm a great believer that if I haven't got the ability to demonstrate self-mastery, I don't have the right to teach it. So for me, it's a quest uh, of being able to say, boom, let's check in, see where I'm at. Yeah, Still got what it takes. You know, it's, it's like, you know, you. if you're a personal trainer teaching marathon running, but you don't run marathons, mm, I don't think people should pay it.
0: I agree. Yeah, you know, I, I wish more gurus thought the way that you did. We'd have much less of them, uh, sure, actually. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, quite possibly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so uh, I'm, uh, for me, I'm excited about that challenge. Now, here's the other thing: if something happens, as you know, the boat, one of the boats this year uh, that, that launched, four guys, and because physically you can train for anything. Yeah, I mean, physically, you see people in their 90s running marathons. The, the body's adaptable enough that if you give it the time, train for anything. But the mental side—that's that's the—that's the, that's the game changer. That separates the you know, the wheat from the chaff, uh, as we say. Yeah. But yeah, you know, when it when it comes to the association to finish, um, that's—it's not validating myself by if we make it. You know, I'm going to give it my best shot and see where I'm at. That's the game. And yeah, there's a boat this year, four guys. They've been training for two years for this race. And it was, I think, about uh, somewhere pitch black. So between kind of like you know, 10 o'clock at night and 6 o'clock in the morning. And a huge wave hit them. This is two months ago. Two guys were inside sleeping. Two guys were rowing because it was a four. And the two guys, as per protocol, were tied. Uh, you know, they were clipped onto the boat. The wave came, flipped the boat over, capsized. Yeah, so imagine you're you know, uh, in the cabin asleep. All of a sudden now, yeah, you, you, you hit the ceiling yeah, and uh, you're down. But the wave was so strong, it smashed the lock off the cabin. So it started flooding with water. So the boat wouldn't wouldn't go back up. So the guys finally had to wait until the water was up to their chin before they took a breath to for the pressure to go out of the, the cabin. And the two guys had been thrown either side of the boat, still tied to it. They tried for an hour to right the boat the right way. Couldn't do it. So, you know, because the cabin had filled up with water, which shouldn't happen. So it was, it, was, it was, the cabin was heavy, so it was bottom heavy, couldn't turn it over. So they actually got a little life raft, which is, you know, they went underneath, grabbed the life raft, inflated it. The sat phone is wet, so they can't contact anyone, but there's a little beacon on there. So that was broadcasting 18 hours later in the middle of the Atlantic, the signal was picked up by a cargo ship heading for Canada. Now. The guys are disappointed because they didn't complete the race. They've been visualizing it, focusing on it. But they did the best they could. And it was yes. an adventure, and it'll be some amazing stories to tell the grandkids. So I'm not validating my self-worth by whether I get there. Obviously, I'm, I'm going to give it my best shot. But I, I once ran the Marathon des Sables, which is you know uh, an marathon across the desert. And I remember at the end of that race, and, and there's a few lessons that came out of that, which uh, I, I think uh, we, you'd like me to share as well.
0: yeah tell tell us that story
1: uh well actually the 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 main story starts on day four Mm -hmm. bearing in mind to set the scene this is a marathon 26.2 miles uh back to back every day for seven days apart from day four which is a double marathon you know which is 52 miles and this is in a 120 130 degree heat uh, running in soft sand with 20 kilos or yeah, sorry, you know, 30 pounds, 35 pounds on your back because you're carrying everything you need for the whole, whole race, food, um, yeah, tent, survival equipment. The only thing you are given is water. That's rationed to nine liters a day. And that's for washing, cooking, hydrating, whatever you want. And it was day four, the day of the double marathon that everyone kind of fears in a way, that I woke up with food poisoning. So I tried to save water by not overhydrating my food the night before, I was, I was in a mess. I was purging out of both ends. Uh, I, I, I hadn't got the stamina to pick up my rucksack. I've got to go run 52 miles across the Sahara that day, and I'm done. I, I, I set off. I haven't got the energy to run, but the gun goes off for the morning and I go 600 other competitors, and I walk, no energy to run. By 8 o'clock that night, and and I can't just walk because if you're behind the checkpoint cutoff times, you're out of the race. So by 8 o'clock that night, I'm done. I've not eaten. I I couldn't stomach any food or anything, so I've not eaten for 24 hours. Uh, I ran the best part of 30 miles. I've got another 20 miles to run through the night. And the sun's setting, so the temperature's dropping fast, which means you've got to run basically to keep warm now Mm -hmm. because it's freezing at night. And I hear this sound, this trudging through the sound, this silhouette, and I look up and there's two figures that kind of run past me. One is a blind guy, Korean guy, in his late 60s. And he's tied at the wrist to the person that's actually his guide. And I'm like, whoa. And I could see he's a competitor. He's got a number on his rucksack. I'm like, what in God's name possesses somebody who's not an athlete? He's a pensioner. Want to go and run the toughest foot race in the world? At that time, I'm like, Wow, what motivates somebody to do that? I've got to find out. He's clearly not an athlete. So I had to go catch up with him, and I found out through his translator, also his guide, that this person uh, had a brother who died of cancer a few years before. And every single year, he ran this race to raise money for the hospice that looked after his brother. Wow. And I'm like, if ever I needed a reminder that following my ego is going to get me ready to quit. Mm -hmm. But when I'm passionate about wanting to serve something bigger than me, the inspiration that comes out of there uh, trumps the motivation that got me there. And that was a huge lesson for me. The the, the second lesson I got was on the last day of the marathon when I finished the marathon and I got my medal and I'm sat there waiting for the truck to come take us back to civilization. And I see people crossing the finish line that were beating themselves up because they didn't get a personal best or they came outside the top 200. And I'm like, whoa, you just completed the toughest marathon in the world. And you're bitching about the fact that you're finding a reason to, to fail yourself. And, and that's when I realized something that many entrepreneurs fail to realize in my experience. And that is that the real purpose of setting a goal whether that's an income goal, whether that's a you know a goal for you know, what the business wants to do or you know how many people you want to change the lives of or whatever, you know, or the house you want. The real purpose of setting a goal is not to achieve the goal. If that's the case, you're playing the game of feel great when, and again, that's running east looking for a sunset and trying to buy the next personal trainer that's going to get you fitter to keep running faster you know, or the next pair of sneakers or whatever it is. Instead, when you realize that the real purpose of setting a goal is to see who do you need to become in order to achieve the goal. And when you look at it through that lens, the game's like that. If you, you manage to get three quarters of the way through that marathon and then you know, end up being taken out of the race because you got bit by a camel spider or a you know, rattlesnake or you know, whatever it may be, or just couldn't do it anymore because your feet were too beat up. The, who you needed to become to show up to that marathon already you know speaks volumes yeah, forget that the marathon is almost the inconsequential getting the goals almost the inconsequential part right who you've become is what matters
0: that's the amazing thing is the growth that you had to endure to become that person
1: that's powerful Way more people quit yeah before they got on a plane than quit during the marathon hmm.
0: wow Now, Peter, this is pretty advanced stuff, right? You're signing up for two months on a, on a boat with another guy, uh, with nothing to do, but row and look at the stars. You did a hundred mile race in the middle of the desert. This is not stuff that the average person can even contextualize doing, but there's levels to this, right? Who you had to grow to become this person. Uh, and even simple things like I saw you going into the freezing cold water every morning, just go, making the conscious decision to go and endure that pain, to wake up, get the health benefits from that therapy. How do you take the steps to become that person? Even if it's the smallest thing, like taking an ice bath or getting out of bed at 5 a.m. What are some simple things that people can do to take steps in that direction?
1: Uh, And I I love, again, the language here, uh, because that's the first thing you do is change the language right? to to endure the pain of the freezing. I didn't feel any pain. I was exhilarated.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Discomfort, many would call it.
1: (laughs) Yes, but that's because the the first step of emotional maturity is to understand that life is a growth centric experience, not a comfort centric experience. And when you wake up to that life, the, the game of life changes. And. The, the, again, the first thing really to do is to change your story. The story people tell themselves is the issue, not the issue. Right? People say, oh, yeah, I, I have a, a money problem. No, you don't. You have a story about money problem. Hmm. Right? I'm sorry, but, you know, there's been more money printed in the last 10 years than ever existed in humanity. There's more opportunities to generate abundance than has ever existed in humanity. There is not a money problem. You don't have a money problem. You have a story. You tell yourself about money problem. Right. It's like, you know, when you realize you can change your story, most people are like, as I say, I I, want to go earn money rather than I am money. Uh, Or, you know, when I was borrowing uh, money for uh, one, a a huge uh, project that I was building in the uh, 2008, 2012, which was to generate uh, a new form of energy from space to transmit solar via wireless back to Earth for a 24-7 baseload solar. Multi-billion dollar project. And we raised millions of dollars. We we're working with governments all over the world. You know, I got you know, some of NASA's former uh, top employees. I was working with uh, Boeing. It was a major project. But when we went out and the 2008-9 crisis hit, mm-hmm. and the liquidity dried up. And everyone says, you can't find any more money in the marketplace. And I'm thinking, well, that's your story. I don't mind. That's your movie that you're starring in. I'm starring in a different movie called The Abundance Movie. Right? So for me, I had a different belief. My belief was there is more money out there that wants to be lent than there are people that want to borrow it. And that was my belief. And money flowed in faster.
0: Is that mindset trainable? for somebody that does have a negative story and wants to embrace this and change their story, change the words that they use, for example, instead of calling it discomfort or pain, calling it growth and exhilaration and energy, but you keep falling into these patterns. Is there a a way to get out of that pattern of thinking?
1: Let me ask you a question, is your body trainable? Yes. See, you don't look at somebody who's overweight Uh, and say, oh, I'm really glad I wasn't born with that body. No, there's no such thing as a good or a bad body. There's a trained or an untrained body. There's no such thing as a positive or a negative mindset. There is a trained or an untrained mindset. Mm -hmm. And the challenge is you have what's called the law of conformity operating 24-7. The law of conformity says environment beats will over time, every time. So uh, the easy way to translate that is you become who you hang with. So if you hang around with nine recreational drug users, I've got news for you. You're going to become the 10th. Yes. You hang around with nine kick-ass motivated entrepreneurs that love getting up at 5 a.m. doing ice baths and talking about 10xing their income and, and having a blast and you know, facing the uncertainty with a, 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 a smile. You're going to become the 10th or they're going to kick you out of the gang. All right. It's, it's the law of conformity. Yeah, choose who you want to hang with. Choose, you, we don't get to vote, Jay, unfortunately, uh, ha, uh, whether or not we are programmed. We are programmable by design. Cybernetic organisms, we are programmable. And you can tell that because if you decide to go to Australia for a year and come back to uh, uh, you know, wherever you are in the U.S., you're you in Austin?
0: St. Petersburg, Florida.
1: Okay, so I'll okay, go. That's it. it was the rest of the gang from Austin. All right? Yeah. So you come back to Florida, some of your friends are going to say, hey, Jay, you've got an Australian twang. You picked up a bit of an accent. But I know if I look at your schedule for the last 12 months through your calendar, I won't see any appointments for accent school. You didn't go to learn an accent. The accent happened because you adapted to your environment unconsciously to the point where it impacted every word coming out of your mouth. Right? Yes. Well, When you look at it through a a financial lens, most people are suffering from a pretty poor financial accent because they hang around with people that talk about scarcity, uh, that money's hard to come by, that you've got to fight for it, that blah, 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 fill fill in the blank. Limiting beliefs around money. So what's the best way to get rid of limiting beliefs? Hang around with people that don't have them. Because after a year being back in Florida, you don't have an Australian twang anymore. It's, right. it, yeah. So the mindset is trainable. But if you're consciously trying to train it, that's a good start. But you may as well have the current of the river flowing in your favor. So it's a lot less effort. And that is surround yourself with people who are going in the direction that you want to go that have the mindset you want to adopt, because it will brush off on you just the same as an accident.
0: It's funny how you, how you put things, how you, how you phrase them. It's something that I felt like we already had the answer to how do you become motivated? Well, duh, like the, the law of you are who you hang around applies, but the way that you, uh, put it in terms of analogies and, and phraseology, uh, puts it really into context. So I agree it's, it's simple, it's powerful. Uh, and yeah, of course, Uh, it's a, it's a superpower of yours. If you, if you hadn't already known.
1: Oh, thank you. It's, uh, yeah, well, one, of the, well, one of my missions is uh, about being able to take what is usually somewhat complex or tangled mm-hmm. and simplify it conceptually so people say, ah, I get it, uh, and be able to sort that. And, again, just like the body, if, if, if from the mind to the body, if, if you live above a donut shop, right, versus you live above a gym, I can predict what you look like. Yes. Yeah, it's the environment that you continue to put your body in. And it's not about trying to force yourself 100%. We're human. Right? You're going to have ups and downs. It's like happiness. The purpose of life is not to be happy. You don't, I didn't want to be happy at my mother's funeral. Right? We, we experience a range of emotions as human beings. But it's where do you live, where do you visit? Yeah, if you live in the gym, you can visit the donut shop once in a while. It's not going to have an impact. But if you live in the donut shop... I've got news for you. You can visit the gym once in a while. It's not going to have an impact. So where do you live versus where do you visit? And if you start visiting too often, you know, be mindful you don't start living there. Speaking of
0: habits, I would love to ask you about what your morning and nighttime routines are. Because you seem like a guy that's got that pretty dialed in. I'm curious what they are.
1: I appreciate that. I've I've been talking about morning routines, you know, way before, I, I I think when Hal Elrod was at school right? Uh, but for me, it's how, how you start the day is the foundation. You, know, you don't go to the gym uh, and not warm up right, if you want to avoid injury, right? You don't have an opera singer, you know, not do half an hour vocal exercises in the green room you know, before hitting the stage. Yeah, mm. uh, it, it, It's just the morning routine is your warm up for your ability to generate your reality. To create your day. And if you want to run out yeah, uh, and just get on the starting blocks so when the gun goes bang, i.e., yeah, wake up, check your phone, get in the game without warming up by recentering yourself, connecting to the power of meditation so that you can have an impact on probability distribution in the outer world, right? so that you, know, you can have a connection to the reasons why you're doing this and have easier access to train yourself to be grateful rather than fearful. If you don't take that chance, when the vast majority of the world is trying to press the snooze button yeah, or be dysfunctional till the double espresso hits, then you, know, you can have a uh, an opportunity to be able to learn from some of the greatest masters that ever walked the planet uh, and yeah, synthesize what they took a lifetime to learn in a freaking book or a podcast. You know, it's that's your time, that's your game, that's the place where if you want to be an athlete that wins the gold at the Olympics. Warm the hell up before you hit the track, right? So, you, know, if, you if you do that, I've got a good friend of mine. Actually, his name's Derek Redmond. And I think nearly half a billion people have seen his video at the Barcelona Olympics where he's running and he pulls a hamstring. And his father comes out of the crowd to help him across the finish line. So it's a really powerful piece uh, on there. But, you know, it, that's the kind of way that I see people. People get hamstrung through their day because they don't warm up. Now, I'm sure Derek warmed up it was other things that was going on on pre injury right but you know, when you when you don't take your time for your morning routine, mm-hmm. you will start it, it it it's like again no pilot gets into the aircraft without a pre flight briefing yeah yeah pre engine check yeah pre cabin crew check pre you know weather check it's like It just makes sense, but everybody wants to dive in the airplane and pilot as fast as they can to their goal so they can finally get to a destination they think is going to make them happy, only to get to the top of Success Mountain to want to jump off because they don't like the view.
0: So with that being said, and fully convinced that morning routines are necessary, what is the one that you've adopted? What does that look like every morning?
1: Generally 5 a.m., guy. 5 a.m., wake up,
0: jump in a freezing cold river.
1: Uh, Yeah, that was last week in in Sharmini. Uh no, generally um 5 a.m. I was up at four one day this week just because I woke up at four and I thought, you know, get, like, let's go play. Gives me an extra yeah. hour on my morning routine. Uh but yeah, generally five. If my body's um saying it needs more sleep, I will listen. But there is a power to understanding the body's need for sleep and your mind's justification of wanting comfort. Mm. Yeah, which is why, you know, I think we all wear aura rings and and, and track our sleep. Yes. Yeah, on there. So uh I, uh, I get up, I go downstairs, I, I have a, I, I hydrate, I'll do a uh, alkaline water and a, a pinch of salt. Yeah, when you, you switch the polarity of the cells, at night it's magnesium that'll trigger the you know, polarity in the morning is sodium that triggers the polarity. Mm-hmm. So I take magnesium at night uh, and, and not magnesium oxide, which is what most health you know, uh, uh, companies sell because it's cheap and it's crap. Uh, but a decent quality magnesium, glycinate, yeah, you know, citrate, uh, many forms of magnesium. So I'll take that at night. So in the morning, I'll flush the body and with a you know, a decent yeah, pint yeah, or a liter of, of water with, so you know, I'm six foot three, so you know, I don't do egg cups. Right? Uh, I will then go downstairs. I have a meditation room in the basement of my home. Uh, and I'll go down and I'll do my study, mostly read to start with. Uh, I'll watch my mind movie. I create mind movies, uh, interactive vision boards, yeah, multimedia-type vision boards. And so I'll watch that. Uh, in fact, this morning I watched that on the uh, the 80-inch screen uh, up here with my, my headphones so I don't wake anyone else up because I'm the only person in my household that does morning routines at that level. Um, and then I will go downstairs, as I say, uh, do my my study, do my mind movie, uh, and then I will pick a meditation. And some mornings it's active meditation uh, where I'm actively visualizing and adopting the future that I want now and feeling that and flooding the biochemistry of the body as if it's already happened. To quote the late, great Neville Goddard, uh, adopt the feeling of the wish fulfilled. Mm. And sometimes it's passive meditation where I will just get into what we call point consciousness, drop my brainwaves around four hertz uh, and just stay there and uh, and. Keep the body in a state of, of stasis. Uh, How long days, do you
0: meditate? And do you use any devices?
1: Uh, heart math, I was about to mention. Sometimes I'll do heart math. If I'm doing heart math, anything less than 20 minutes is a waste of time, to be fair. You see people mm. say, like, oh, look, look at my five-minute score on heart math. It's like, you know? Um, meditation, um, uh, the one I did yesterday was an active meditation. It was guided uh, by Dr. Joe Dispenza. I'm a big fan of Dr. Joe. I followed him since What the Bleep. And that was 52 minutes. Wow. Uh, but it's a long really speak... Yeah, and I'll, uh, anything less than half an hour, you're kind of dabbling. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You'll have to check out, uh, it's a biohacking device that I use called Muse. It's a portable.
1: Yeah, I got the original Muse when, Dave, when it came out. I think Dave Asprey recommended it. Uh, yeah. And then um, I got the, is it the Muse Sleep? The Muse Comfort?
0: Something I don't know. I have the, I have the Muse too. It's... Let's see it, and there we go, yeah, there we go, yeah, that's a a cool little thing. It actually gives you you know feedback on your brainwaves to show you how you're doing in your meditation. It's pretty cool yeah
1: it's to, to gamify it for most people i uh, yeah, I forget what this one's called now uh, I think, uh, oh yeah, uh, this it's the soft one that you can actually sleep with oh cool on, uh, on there. but i I'll be honest, I don't use it very often. It's good to yeah. start training and build the muscle, but once the muscle' built, yeah right. I, I I, I know when I'm in point consciousness, right? I know that's... when I'm in alpha, I know when I'm in theta. So if you need help getting to that stage and using gamification or biofeedback, so you're not kidding yourself,
0: it's great, yep. but that I recommend heart it for, for people who are, are new to meditation and don't think they're doing it right. That's a really quick way to yeah. see what your brain's actually doing while you're sitting there with your eyes closed, yep. you know, my, my
1: heart sensor uh, on there as well.
0: Oh, cool. That I've never heard of them. I'm going to look into that one.
1: Yeah. HeartMath is, is the best biofeedback for being present and getting into coherence that exists on the planet. Yeah. Their algorithm is just so good now because there's you know, tens of thousands of people a day that, 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 feedback into it.
0: Cool. Any new biohacking device I'm, I'm in, I'll, I'm going to go, uh, go check that one out. It's cool. After your 20 to 80 minutes of meditation, uh, is there anything else that you, that you, that you do to get started?
1: Uh, I'll go and make a coffee, but not for me. I don't drink coffee. Uh, I will take mm. it uh, upstairs to my, my girl. Uh, Just to smell it. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I, it's funny. I, I actually started drinking bulletproof coffee after Dave Asprey and I became friends, and, and he mm-hmm. started uh, sponsoring my events, my, 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 my three-day business school that, that I teach. And, um, uh, but, yeah, generally speaking, I'm, I'm, I'm not a caffeine guy. I'm, I'm high on life. I'm, oxygen is, is my fuel. You always been that way
0: No caffeine, no stimulants Have you always been that way? No caffeine you've just been able to uh, that's that's a superpower, yeah. I think as well to be able to go through life energized without the help of any anything in, ingested from the outside world
1: well do, do, do it on your terms because you know if i 'm driving home late you know, and, and you know, uh, in a fast car uh, on the highway and it's uh, i 'm a bit sleepy. Then, yeah, I may go get a red bull, why? because at that particular point i don 't want to end up as a statistic right, right. but i'm I'm choosing i don't know once every couple of months whatever if in that scenario to go and engage on my terms rather than be a slave to it because now i'm yeah i'm just another statistic for a caffeine drinker or or whatever so yeah there's i 'm not militant yeah you know, i'm not anti caffeine uh, i'm anti dependency because yes. Everything you have, you already need. The only thing stopping you is your story about why you think you can't.
0: Right, at this point, I'm sure self-motivating is just a reflex for you, which is a a really great kind of light at the end of the tunnel goal for people to, I think, strive for, who are on pills to wake up, to go to sleep, to drink coffee, taking Adderall to work. Uh, I think it's a good, at least for me, something to think about as I'm working on my personal development, um, self-mastery, as you call it, is the ability to just kind of go inside and find whatever it is that you need emotionally to control your your energy levels just on, on demand, on tap. I think it's a superpower nowadays.
1: I, I appreciate that. Again, it's sometimes it doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes it can be a significant emotional event that changes everything. Yeah. And if you see people that have gone through things like a near-death experience or beaten mm-hmm. terminal cancer or something like that, they have a different relationship to life. There's a gratitude. Mm-hmm. There's an effervescence there. There's a not sweat the small stuff. there. It puts it in perspective. Yet yeah, you've shifted your contextual relationship to the game. You know, people talk about you know the, the whole concepts of ownership. Oh, I need to own my home. I need to own my next toy. Or I need to own whatever. You know, I've I've made it and lost it many times. You know, it's, right. it's part of the game of being an entrepreneur. We we, we get that. Yeah, I, I got wiped out five years ago. Third of a million in debt, no credit rating, et cetera. You know, now you know, back in the game and you know, winning multi-million dollar awards and, and blah blah blah. But yeah, you know, for me, it's not the having it; it's the getting it. It's the journey. It's the adventure. And yeah, there's going to be down times, just like there is yeah you know, in in everything. It's part of the game. Yeah, you know, what does life bring you? Same as it's always brought you: challenge and opportunity. Yes. Uh, and so if we Yeah, start to get to a point where we think we get obsessed with ownership, we need to remind ourselves that there is no such thing. Hmm. Ownership is a concept that we create to give ourselves some sort of feeling of superiority or certainty. Interesting. Now, if you say, well, no, I own my house, here's the deeds, and I've paid off my mortgage, great. What plans you got for taking it with you at the end of this movie? Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's powerful.
1: I, it's like no, yeah. You, I, I remember I was in South Africa one time, and uh, uh, we're doing a, a a trip around the Garden Route, and I was with a, uh, my my ex fiance uh, at the time, and I designed and, and built this this beautiful ring. You know, like one hundred and thirty thousand dollars. It had like eighty plus stones in, and blah blah blah. It was beautiful. It was a the center was a you know. You know Two and a half carat yellow and surrounded by sapphires and more diamonds. And anyway, you get the idea. It was, it was a fancy bling. She's a fancy blingy girl. she got a fancy blingy ring.
0: Lucky lady, sounds like.
1: Yeah. And um, we go and we start swimming in a river. We pull up and start swimming in a river. Now, I'm sad that we've got to be careful. You know, you've got crocs and, and what have you. But it, it was a, it, the reason I wanted to do it is because it was a very unique river. Mm. It was the color of Coca Cola. And it was a, it's not a great mineral. color. It was a mineral that the rocks, it was natural. But uh, it was—it was still you know, pure. have I mean, It was a mineral in the in the river. It was this specific place that turned it into the color of Coca-Cola. It was—it was—it was fascinating. Never swam in a river like that.
0: Dark brown, got, muddy river.
1: <laughs> oh, not muddy. It was—it was like crystal clear. But if you you, know, right. if you, if you pull up a, a glass, you can see. It, but it was just Coca-Cola. Oh Coca-Cola. wow! Cool. House. But uh, no. So we get back in in the car. We drive. Get back in the car. And all of a sudden, she she kind of. Half screams or squeals or whatever girls like, you know, like. Look, there's one of the stones missing out of the ring, and obviously it's in the river. We ain't gonna find it in the river. We ain't gonna find a normal river. No. Let alone one the colour of Coca-Cola. And she's all upset. And I says, "Honey, don't worry about it." She says, "Why?" Well, I says, "Well, it wasn't your stone anyway?" so "What do you mean? You gave it to me." <laughs> stone's been around for twenty million years. It's gonna be around for another twenty million years what makes you think you want it you're just looking after it while you're here and now it's off on another adventure
0: mindset is everything the way that you you frame and look at things it's amazing Uh, and if you're able to take that with you every minute and every experience of your life it's uh, pretty incredible to think how much happier of a life uh, that you would have being able to deal with everything like that kind of shifted mindset very cool Ah, uh, Peter, you were sure. recently ranked top ten gurus in in some fancy list. Which which list was that?
1: Uh, top thirty, actually, the uh, the global uh, top thirty gurus list. And um, yes, it's a uh, it's, it's quite a prestigious organization because they they have quite a strict criteria. You're not allowed to influence through sponsorship or any of that kind of shenanigans that a lot of people do. Um, and it's based upon everything from uh, a large portion of the vote is, is the public, a large portion is the originality of the, the level of the content, the impact that you have that can be measured, that kind of stuff. Wow. And, yeah, last year I was very, very blessed to, to be nominated uh, number 20 uh, out of the top 30, and this year at number 15. Uh, alongside Simon Sinek, Tony Robbins, yeah, Mel Robbins, Les Brown, Brian Tracy, Jack Canfield, yeah, some some pretty good names on, on the list. So, so that yeah, is going to make... Always, always not
0: this next question a lot more fun because i ask all of my guests this and it's usually the way that we wrap up the episode Uh, as a guru yourself the question is who is a guru that has influenced your life in a profound way and why
1: obviously i had the privilege of working with tony robbins for 15 years as one of his experienced trainers and tony taught me a lot about human behavior but Mm -hmm. if i'm going to give the the accolade out to one person, it would be George Zalecki and George Zalaki is probably one of the, the biggest kept secrets in personal growth and you now he's 82 now, so you know, somewhat uh, in retirement and George uh, was one of the first people to really teach me the value of creating an empowering psychology, especially around disarmament of negative emotions. And if you go to my YouTube channel, you'll see a video on there called My Most Impactful Mentor, and it tells the story of how I came across George when I was 18 and what unfolded from there leading up to me being guest of honor at his 80th birthday in Florida uh, uh, in Fort Lauderdale uh, a couple of years ago. So, yeah, George, George Zalecki would be a guy, Yeah, you know, I, I would just recommend anyone that – comes across him, just buy everything you can get. His work's cheap, but it's the most impactful thing I, I ever had growing up.
0: Wow. I love the unknowns. This is a new name for me. So I'm definitely going to go, go check that out. And if you're listening, I'll, I'll drop the website in the description. So you don't have to try and figure out how to spell zalaki. <laughs> uh, that'll be fun. Uh, Peter, last question, one book, or you can give a couple books that have really inspired you throughout your life. And as a multiple bestselling, multiple time best-selling author, it's another fun question directed at you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess I can't say my own, can I, even though I wrote it?
0: You're not allowed but, to say your
1: um, own. <laughs> uh, it still impacts me when I look back and see, what I, can I really write that? No, I'm good. Uh, it would have to be Power versus Force, mm. David Hawkins. Uh, understanding the role that levels of consciousness play in the predictability of how your movie unfolds and that of other people as a primary factor. Once you understand the hidden determinants of human behavior, the puzzle just becomes clearer. So when I first picked up that book, 15, probably over over 20 years ago, sorry, I couldn't get into it. The first quarter is a little bit heavy going. It you know, delineates some concepts that people find you know, tough. Mm. This, if you can get through that, the, the next three quarters of the book is poetry in terms of understanding people and humans. It just fills the gap. So... I'm a fan of a lot of Hawkins advanced work, but his his biggest gift to the, 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 the world, um, his biggest contribution to the world, should I say, would be power versus force should have won a Nobel Prize for his you know, map of consciousness. But I think the people that give out Nobel Prizes don't calibrate high enough to appreciate it. And uh, the, the second book, from, uh, if I was going to from Hawkins as well, was would be his biggest gift to the world, which is Letting Go, which is written in a style that's so contemporary, anybody can understand and read it. And he did that before he died in 2012 as his last parting gift. Uh, and that is great for people that are struggling with things that they're hanging on to, shall we say. Uh, yeah, so Power versus Force and Letting Go. And if I could sneak another one in, because I know you'll let me, uh, it would be... Uh, as a small book, most likely Feeling is the Secret by Neville Goddard. Yeah, you can That's read it in 20 minutes. Me. Yeah, and his, his articulation and succinctness around understanding how your consciousness creates your reality is just sublime.
0: I appreciate the short ones, too. That one I'll definitely check out. Uh, Peter, where is the best place to get in touch with you, and what are you working on right now that you think uh, would be exciting for us to know about?
1: Uh, thank you. Well, I'm, I'm pretty much all over social. Yeah, you can find me yeah, in many places, but my website's always a, a good starting place: peter.sage.com. Uh, registered in 1998. Uh, would you believe? Wow. Uh, yeah, as a, a head, I had a good guy, a friend of mine, that set up an internet company won the first ones and said you really need to get your name you know because one day uh, it won't be available and I'm yeah thinking, i don't do have my name <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so yeah petersage.com uh, and uh my my biggest program right now that i'm i'm most proud of that we're, we're putting a lot of weight behind being able to help as many people with is the elite mentorship forum it's our six-month coaching program it's it's not coaching it's transformation hmm. yeah it's th- that that it's a six-month personal transformation program I don't like the term coaching because yeah, it's it's become an industry that isn't as impactful as it should be in terms of lasting transformation. Yeah, and that's not taking anything away from yeah a lot of the great amazing coaches that are out there, but it's been seized upon a lot by people saying, "Hey, do a you know a weekend course, get a certificate, and go call yourself a coach." And it's what we spoke about earlier. How many of them would actually? live the life that the people paying them would be you know <laughs> uh, what would, would want so uh yeah the elite mentorship forum thousand you know five-star reviews on TrustPilot from people all, all over the world and super proud of that so that that's my main focus right now is getting that to more people
0: awesome if people are interested in that is that accessible through your website
1: yep yep no no Perfect. no big deal oh yeah follow you can follow me on social uh the real peter sage uh, I'm on YouTube, Instagram, that kind of stuff. So uh, cool. it'd be a, a pleasure. Always trying to put out content to help as many people as I can.
0: Hey, Peter, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. We went an hour and five minutes. This is uh, it's a little bit longer than my typical episode, but you're a blast to talk to, full of wisdom. I got a ton out of this conversation. I know the audience did too. So thank you for your time. I'm humbled. Uh, you're you're a rock star and you're, you have a, a special superpower of putting things into context so that, people, listeners, uh, and simple people can understand these concepts a, at a macro level. So thank you for bringing that to me and to the audience. Just thank you.
1: My pleasure. Thank you. Keep doing what you're doing, Jay. You're, you're shining a light for a lot of people That's uh, we call our tribe. And I'm, I'm really thrilled to be part of that process to help leave a little thumbprint on your, your journey as well.
0: I appreciate you, Peter. Take care.